Ezekiel 34, Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 25 through 31. God says, I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from the land so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them in the places all around my hill a blessing, and I will send down the showers in their season, and they shall be showers of blessing. And the trees of the field shall yield their fruit, and the earth shall yield its increase, and they shall be secure in their land, and they shall know that I am the Lord. When I break the bars of their yoke and deliver them from the hand of those who enslave them, they shall no more be a prey to the nations, nor shall the beasts of the land devour them. They shall dwell securely, and none shall make them afraid. And I will provide for them renowned plantations so that they shall no more be consumed with hunger in the land and no longer suffer the reproach of the nations. And they shall know that I am the Lord, their God, with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God. And you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord God. So here in this prophecy, this promise, God tells that Israel is going to be brought back to their land at one point, and they're going to be put in the land, and they're going to have no longer their neighbors and anybody bother them. He's going to make the land produce its fruit and yield, and there's going to be big plantations they're going to be taken care of. And in here, he brings out the fact that he's also going to make it so that the wild beasts aren't even a problem in the land at that time. So you can go sleep in the woods and not worry about it. Wouldn't that be fun? I wrote here... Uh, especially if you don't like wild animals, this passage and many others that I'm about to show you will get you excited about the Millennial Kingdom. Now keep in mind, when we talk about the Millennial Kingdom, it's most of the prophecies are going to be centered around Israel, because that's where it's all going to be centered from. Jesus is going to come back, live on the earth, from, rule and reign from Jerusalem. There's going to be branches of Jewish government over the Israelites, and you're going to see in time when we get further in Ezekiel where all the distribution of the land is going to be, how far it extends, where each tribe gets and what their property is going to be. It's going to be an amazing time of study when we get to that. But at the same time, across the whole globe is going to be the Gentile nations, and we're going to rule and reign with Jesus, and we're going to be over those nations in some way, shape, or form as those of us who are his church, and we're going to reign with him. And there's going to be a time of great peace on the earth. It doesn't mean there will be no sin because there still will be humans who are born during that time from the humans that survived the tribulation period. The Jewish people who survived the tribulation period are still going to be human. They won't have gotten the resurrected bodies. The Gentiles who are granted righteousness in the sheep and the goat judgment are going to be brought into the kingdom because of how they treated Israel during that time of the tribulation. And they're going to be brought in and those humans are going to make babies. And as you're going to see later on in our study, we won't get there tonight, if someone only lives to be 100 years old at that time, they'll be considered accursed because people will live a long, long time. And because of the fact, though, that humans are still here, there's still going to be sin. Because you remember that sin passed on from Adam on to all of us, and those people are still going to have it in their flesh. But Satan will be bound in the pit for a thousand years during that time period. And so him and his minions won't be around to tempt and to do all they do. The temptation is going to come from where? Within the humans, not us. Because we're going to be in our resurrected bodies, but from the humans, from the human beings, yes. And so with that, that's why Jesus is going to rule with a rod of iron during that time period. And, and he also even says if the nations don't come and bring their sacrifices or their feast uh, offerings at the time when they're supposed to to Jerusalem, he won't let it rain in their land during that time. But Israel's going to have a time of tremendous peace. And I want to just show you, here he just references a couple of times how he's going to make it so there's no wild animals during that time, who are going to harm humans. And it got me thinking about other passages. Go to Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65, verses 18 through 25. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy, and her people to be gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall it be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who doesn't fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For the la like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. And my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will graze together. 
and the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. So here again we see, he's talking about the millennial kingdom. There's going to be a time when the animals are going to go back to like they were prior to Genesis chapter 9, when the animals actually only ate vegetables and they were grass eaters. And so if you look at the scriptures, you'll realize that it isn't until after the flood that God puts a fear of man in the animals, and that tells man he's allowed to go eat animals and that kind of a thing. Now, at the same time, we've got to keep in mind, for years, we've always seen this picture whenever they try to recreate Noah and the ark. And they have, they, they, have you ever seen the videos of Noah trying to drag the tigers and the lions that are snarling into the ark and all this kind of stuff? It wasn't that way prior to the flood, folks. Think about the fact that back in Genesis chapter 2, the scripture says that God had all the animals to come by Adam, then he would name them. There was no fear of the relationship between uh, Adam or mankind and the animals because the animals weren't after humans. They just ate grass. But because of sin, because of the curse, there came a point where the animals all of a sudden now were to be afraid of man. They were to actually attack when God allowed. And during the millennial kingdom, it's going to revert back to like it was in the Garden of Eden where you don't have to be afraid of animals anymore. And here we see that the wolf and the lamb are going to graze together side by side and the lamb won't have to keep one eye on the wolf. All right. Go to Isaiah chapter 11. Look at verses 1 through 9. <clears throat> there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. And they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters covers the sea. Here we see the prophecy about how Jesus is going to come and rule and reign in Jerusalem. And again, a lot of prophecy about the fact that during that time, you don't have to be afraid of wild beasts or animals. Go to Isaiah 35. <clears throat> Look at verses 1 through 10. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strength, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return, and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Let me ask you real quick, by the way, have these prophecies been fulfilled in Israel? No, not yet at all. Not yet at all. All this is still yet to come. Let me give you one more. Go to Hosea. Chapter 2. Hosea chapter 2, verses 14 through 23. Therefore, behold, I will allure her, God speaking of Israel, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there shall, she shall answer as in the days of her youth and at the time when she came out of e the land of Egypt. And in the, as, sorry, as at the time when the, she came out of the land of Egypt. 
And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow and sword and war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. On, and in that day I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. And the earth shall answer the grain and the wine and the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel. And I will sow her for myself in the land, and I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say not to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. Isn't this cool? That day's coming, folks. Now, again, don't lose sight of the fact that all that's been promised for Israel is ours now. He's going to erase their sin. He's going to put his spirit within them. He's going to move them to follow his decrees. He's going to betroth them to him forever, never to be broken up again. We've been given that. The, the land promises were for Israel, and the land's not ours. That's been given to Israel, and that's another study for another time, which we'll get to later on when we get a little further into our Ezekiel. But for now, don't lose sight of the fact that I just read to you four different long passages that talk of the millennial kingdom and clearly state that there's not going to be wild animals that are, we have to be afraid of during that time. It shouldn't surprise us that God actually describes the millennial kingdom in this way, talking about the specifics of the fact that wild animals aren't to be feared, because God actually does care about whether or not wild animals get us. I don't know if you ever realized that or not. A lot of people may not realize that, but God actually does care about whether or not wild animals get, it, get us. I can prove it to you by taking you to Exodus chapter 23. In Exodus 23, God's speaking to the nation of Israel as he's about to bring them into the promised land. And in chapter 23, look at verses 20 through 30. He says, Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and to obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I blot them out, you shall not bow down to their gods nor serve them nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in places, in pieces. You shall serve the Lord your God, and He will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from among you. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror before you and will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come, and I will make you, all your enemies turn their backs to you, and I will send hornets before you in which shall drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites from before you, now I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little I'll drive them out from before you until you have increased and possessed the land. As God was promising to bring them into the promised land, he said, you know what? I'm going to go ahead of you and I'm going to defeat these enemies before you. I could wipe them all out at once. But that actually wouldn't be good for you because when the land would be desolate of humans, the wild animals would increase and then it'd be really bad for you. If the wild animals were increased, it'd be dangerous for you when I brought you into the land. So God actually does care about whether or not the wild beasts. I don't know if we realize this or not, but he's the one protecting us from them. He controls that kind of a thing. At the same time, we see that the scripture shows us that Satan, as you know, is always out to do damage. We see that in the book of Job, chapter 1 and chapter 2. And it's God who keeps him from doing things to us. In the same way, because of sin, because of the curses of sin, there's lots of trouble out there in this world. Let's be honest, how to die is pretty easy. Would you not agree? That being, how to, even having your next breath isn't promised. If we really thought about it, we are very, very fragile human beings. It's very easy for us to die. But the Bible says God controls all of that. But, listen closely, when we decide to walk out of his protection, when we choose to live for ourselves and remove ourselves from that blessing, we open ourselves up to no longer being protected. And when, what did he say? He said that if they disobeyed him, he would allow the wild beasts 
to attack. Do you remember that in our study when we were looking about what was going to happen in Jerusalem because of the disobedience? There was going to be sword and famine, pestilence, and what was another one? Wild beasts. The things that he's been protecting us from, that stuff's out there. Diseases are out there. You know, I would do my best during my chemo treatments to just give everybody an elbow instead of a, a hug because of you know, trying to protect from getting infections. But let's be honest, they're out there. They're out there. But God controls whether or not he allows them to come. And don't misunderstand. Sometimes God allows them to come for his purposes. He has his reasons sometimes. But for the most part, I don't think very many of us realize how protected we are from God. The famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, was preached along that context of Scripture about the fact that it's God who keeps us from allowing our foot to slip. But if he removes that protection, all this stuff that Satan would love to do to us could happen in an instant. Folks, I want to just challenge you. Walk with the Lord. Don't grieve the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit. Stay in his protection. By the way, the Bible tells us that one of the ways he protects us is having us stay involved in local church fellowship. We're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We're to spend time with other believers, encouraging one another, and all the more as we see the day approaching. But there are Christians who have a tendency to isolate themselves from the body, and when they do, they lose the protection that's there. That's why the Bible talks about when someone's walking in perpetual sin in the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says, Hand this one over to Satan. Break fellowship with him. Don't let him be a part of the local fellowship. Break fellowship with him. Hand this one over to Satan so his soul may be saved. In other words... There's a protection that comes from being in the church. But there comes a time when people walk in continual disobedience to the will of the Lord that we need to say to brothers and sisters in Christ, go run with Satan. Go get your fill. He's going to maul you. You're not going to love what happens next. But whenever you want to come to your senses, you come on back and we'll welcome you into the fellowship. But sometimes we have to break fellowship, send them outside the protection of the Lord that actually comes through the local church. We don't realize how much God's protecting us from at all times, and you need to. And one of the things we see from Scripture is he's been protecting us from wild beasts for a long time. And from a guy that hates snakes, I say thank you, Lord. Go to Exodus chapter 35. <clears throat> Did I say Exodus? Thank you. Ezekiel. Ezekiel 35. Ezekiel 35, verses 1 through 15. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, set your face against Mount Seir and prophesy against it and say to it, thus says the Lord God, behold, I'm against you, Mount Seir, and I will stretch out my hand against you and I will make you a desolation and a waste. I will lay your cities waste and you shall become a desolation and you shall know that I am the Lord because you cherished perpetual enmity and gave over the people of Israel to the power of the sword at the time of their calamity, at the time of their final punishment. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord God, I will prepare you for blood. And blood shall pursue you, because you did not hate bloodshed, therefore blood shall pursue you. I will make Mount Seir a waste and a desolation, and I will cut off from it all who come and go. I will fill its mountains with the slain. On your hills and in your valleys and all your ravines, those slain with the sword shall fall. I will make you a perpetual desolation, and your city shall not be inhabited. Then you will know that I am the Lord, because you said these two nations and these two countries, that's Israel and Judah, shall be mine, and we, we will take possession of them, although the Lord was there. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord God, I will deal with you according to the anger and the envy that you showed because of your hatred against them. And I will make myself known among them when I judge you, and you shall know that I am the Lord. I have heard all the revilings that you have uttered against the mountains of Israel, saying they are laid desolate, they are given to us to devour, and you magnified yourself against me with your mouth and multiply your words against me. I heard it. Thus says the Lord God, while the whole earth rejoices, I will make you desolate. As you rejoiced over the inheritance of the house of Israel because it was desolate, so I will deal with you. You shall be desolate, Mount Seir, and all Edom, all of it. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Now, we've already covered much of this, so we won't be here very long in these verses. What was happening here is simply this. As God promises future blessings to Israel, He promised perpetual judgment on Edom. Do you, I want you to remember, Mount Seir and Edom and Esau's descendants are all the same thing. And if you were to write these down and look at them later on for yourself, Genesis 32, verses 1 through 3. That's Genesis 32, 1 through 3. Genesis 36, verses 6 through 8. Genesis 36, verses 6 through 8. Those verses show that Esau's descendants and Edom and Mount Seir are all the same thing. And again, we've already covered this in great detail in our other parts of the prophecies in Ezekiel about Edom and Esau. 
But what God is saying is this. As I'm making promises to Israel about their future blessing and how I'm going to restore the other nations. Remember how we've already looked at how the Ammonites are going to be restored in the latter days. And the Moabites are going to be restored in the latter days. The Edomites, the descendants of Esau, because of their perpetual enmity against Israel, will not be a part of this. And when the whole world rejoices, Edom won't be a part of that. All of this millennial kingdom stuff that the scriptures are going to be talking about, the descendants of Esau will not get to be a part of it because of their hatred toward Israel. And that's what's going on here. All right. So that was a quick chapter. Go to chapter 36. We just set a record. We just covered one whole chapter in three minutes. Genesis, I'm sorry, Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 1 through 15. And you, son of man... Prophesy to the mountains of Israel. He had just told them to prophesy to the Mount to Mount Seir. Now he's saying, Prophesy to the mountains of Israel, and say, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, because the enemy said of you, Aha, and the ancient heights have become our possession, therefore prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord God, precisely because they made you desolate and crushed you from all sides, so that you became the possession of the rest of the nations, and be, you became the talk and the evil gossip of the people. Therefore, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God to the mountains and the hills, the ravines and the valleys, the desolate wastes and the deserted cities which have become a prey and a derision to the rest of the nations all around. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, surely I have spoken in my hot jealousy against the rest of the nations and against all Edom, who gave my land to themselves as a possession with wholehearted joy and utter contempt that they might make its pasture lands a prey. Therefore prophesy concerning the land of Israel, and say to the mountains and the hills, to the ravines and the valleys, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I have spoken in my jealous wrath, because you have suffered the reproach of the nations. Therefore thus says the Lord God, I swear that the nations that are all around you shall themselves suffer reproach. But you, O mountains of Israel, shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people Israel, for they will soon come home. For behold, I am for you, and I will turn to you, and you shall be tilled and sown, and I will multiply people on you, the whole house of Israel, all of it. The city shall be inhabited, and the waste places rebuilt. And I will multiply on you man and beast, and they shall multiply and be fruitful. And I will cause you to be inhabited as in your former times, and will do more good to you than ever before. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I will let people walk on you, even my people Israel, and they shall possess you, and you shall be their inheritance, and you shall no longer bereave them of children. Thus says the Lord God, because they say to you, you devour people, and you bereave your nation of children, therefore you shall no longer devour people, and no longer bereave your nation of children, declares the Lord God. And I will not let you hear any more the reproach of the nations, and you shall no longer bear the disgrace of the peoples, and no longer cause your nation to stumble, declares the Lord God. Now we're going to unpack this section here because there's actually quite a bit that I can't wait to show you. All right. God now has Ezekiel prophesied to the mountains or the land of Israel. Folks, this is further evidence of a coming literal millennial kingdom on the earth. This section here and many other passages we're going to look at tonight. In other words, it's going to be centered around Israel, but the prophecy was to the land. He was speaking to the land. Do me a favor. Go back with me over these verses and just look closely at all the places where he specifically talks about the land. In other words, in verse 1, speak to the prophesy to the mountains of Israel and say, O mountains of Israel. Jump down to verse 4. Therefore, O mountains of Israel. And then keep going. To the mountains and the hills and the ravines, the valleys, the desolate wastes, the deserted cities. Go down to uh, the middle there of uh, or near the end of verse 5 who gave my land to themselves as a possession. And then it goes on a little bit further in a couple, couple sentences later, or a couple lines later, to its pasture lands as a prey. Verse 6, prophesy concerning the land of Israel, and say, to the mountains and the hills, the ravines and valleys. Jump into verse 8, but you, O mountains of Israel. And then, of course, he says, come home to the land in verse, at the end of verse 8. And look at verse 10, at the end of verse 10. The cities shall be inhabited and the waste places rebuilt. This is not symbolic language. This is literal specific prophecy to the mountains and to the land, to the cities, to the desolate places, to the valleys, to the hills. God is speaking to the land and saying, I am going to bless you as well. We'll get to that later on tonight because that gets pretty cool in a second. But go with me to Ezekiel chapter 20. 
Just back up from chapter 36 here in Ezekiel to Ezekiel chapter 20. Listen to verses 40 through 44. In Ezekiel 20, starting in verse 40. For on my holy mountain, the mountain height of Israel, declares the Lord God, there all the house of Israel, all of them, shall serve me in the land. There I will accept them, and there I will require your contributions and choices of your gifts with all your sacred offerings. As a pleasing aroma, I will accept you when I bring you out from the peoples and gather you out from the countries where you have been scattered. And I will manifest my holiness among you in the sight of the nations, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I bring you into the land of Israel, the country that I swore to give your fathers." And there you shall remember your ways and all your deeds and with which you have defiled yourselves and you shall loathe yourselves for all the evils that you have committed. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I deal with you for my name's sake, not according to your evil ways, nor according to your corrupt deeds, O house of Israel, declares the Lord God. Can't be any more clear than that, folks. He says again, O mountains of Israel, I'm going to bring the people back and I'm going to gather them at the end and they're going to come back. All of Israel at that time will be worshiping me. And I'm going to bring them back into the land that I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Keep in mind, and we're not going to take the time to turn there. We might do it later in our study. But if you go back to Genesis chapter 12 and just start reading specifically from Genesis chapter 12 and just start looking for where God promised Abraham and where he promised Isaac and where he promised Jacob that he would give them the land and their descendants. It's very clear over and over and over. He'll say to Abraham, I'm going to give to you and your descendants this land. And then he says to Isaac, I'm going to make the same promise to you I made to your daddy. I'm going to give to you and your descendants this land. Jacob as well. I'm going to give to you and your descendants this land. When did Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob ever receive that promise where the land was given to them? It never happened. Actually, Hebrews chapter 11 says, these died all not having received what was promised. But Jesus himself said that the twelve... The apostles are going to sit along with the people from all the other nations and come and gather in the kingdom and sit at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Folks, he promised to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that land. If there is no literal millennial kingdom, in where Jesus, if, if Jesus doesn't come back and set up his kingdom on the earth and do all these promises for Israel in the land, then God broke his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because in the time that they lived on the earth, they never received the land that was promised. That didn't happen until the time of Moses and actually Joshua when they were given the land. When Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob lived on the land, they lived as sojourners and strangers and tents. And, and the Bible actually says that when Sarah died, Abraham had to purchase a piece of property in order to bury her. Folks, you got to understand, if God says, I'm going to give to you and your descendants this land, but they never got it, he broke his promise. Unless that promise will be fulfilled in the millennial kingdom. When Abraham and Isaac and Jacob are all going to come back as well, and they're going to live on the land. Well, we saw last week, David's going to be there as well. And the land promises will be fulfilled at that time. All right? It's very clear that God's going to do this in the land. Now, the people of Israel had not appreciated the land that God gave them. Now, partially this because they, their sins kept them from receiving the full blessing of the land that God had promised. You know, he had said, if you obey me, I'm going to let the land produce its fruit, and you're going to have all these promises and blessings. But because of Israel's sin, God had to then not allow those promises to be fulfilled because he had said, if you obey me, I'll let the land bless you. If you don't, then you're going to have curses. And because of that, they didn't experience the fullness of the land that God had promised. And they actually, look at verses 13 through 15 here in chapter 36, they actually spoke evil about the land that God blessed them with. In verse 13, it says, Thus says the Lord God, because they, the people of Israel, say to you, You devour people and you bereave your nation of children. Therefore you shall no longer devour people and no longer bereave your nation of children, declares the Lord God. And, I, and I'm not going to let you hear any more of the reproach to the nations. In other words, the people of Israel said, That land eats people up. That land is so hard to live in, that land actually kills our children. He says, that they've been speaking this way about you. Now, interestingly, as the Jews spoke evil about the land that God gave them, didn't they always say, let's go back to Egypt? As the Jews spoke evil about the land that God promised to bless them with, the other nations around all wanted it. Isn't that ironic? The people that God had planned to bless and planned to show himself through weren't grateful didn't appreciate because of their disobedience. They didn't experience all the blessings of the land. But the nations around it sure wanted it. 
Any idea why the nations who didn't worship God wanted that land and the people that God created to be in that land didn't want it? Oh, it's more than that. I have a very good answer. Folks, don't lose sight of this. This is a spiritual battle that's going on right now. We might even think that all the craziness going between the U.S. and North Korea and all that stuff is about political and nations and Trump doing stupid things to some people. No, listen, there's a spiritual battle going on right now. And there's been a battle between God and Satan for all of history. And we have been looking at man. No, keep in mind, it all centering around Israel and God's plan for that land and God's promised that land to those people as an inheritance forever. And Satan's going to try to take it away so his people can live in it and not God's people. All this craziness that's going on in the world, all the things that are happening amongst the nations, they're all getting ready for the final prophecies to be fulfilled and the final things to all come to play. And it's a spiritual battle that's going on. Don't think for a second that a political solution is going to solve it. All right. It was a beautiful land, but when they took their eyes off of God, they saw it as dangerous. Go to Numbers chapter 13. In Numbers chapter 13, the people of Israel are being brought by God right to the border of the promised land. And he told them, go on in. I'm going to give you victory. But they did a very Baptist thing. They decided to put a committee together to research it. Even though God had already spoken, they wanted the committee to put their two cents in. So they sent this committee in to go research for 40 days. And listen to what the report is at the end of the 40 days. Verse 25 of Numbers 13. At the end of the 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness at Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation, and they showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, by the way, when they said they showed them the fruit of the land, the verses just prior to this said that they cut one cluster of grapes, and it was so big that two guys had to carry it on a pole to bring it back and show everybody one cluster of grapes. So they, they brought back word with them and all congregation, and they showed them the fruit of the land, and they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak, those are giants there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land though which we have gone to, through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came from the Nephilim. And we, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. Having been a pastor for years, and having tried to lead people to follow God and listen to what he's saying, I have unfortunately dealt with this kind of mess too much over the years, where we know what God has said, but we're going to research it, and we're going to do a little bit of our, our own reconnaissance. And the committees usually say, I know what God said, but I just don't see how we can do it. But don't miss the fact that even though they said, look at the fruit, there's flowing milk and honey, it's a beautiful land, but it's going to devour us. When you take your eyes off of God, please listen closely. When you take your eyes off of God, you will no longer see his blessings or the things he wants to bless you with as good. You're going to see them as bad and dangerous. But when you see, keep your eyes on the Lord, the storm that he caused for good can be seen for who it, what it really is under his control and under his power. But when you take your eyes off of God, you will become fearful and worried and anxious and what he wants to bless you with will become something you fear. And just let that hit home however it's supposed to hit home. God had promised that the land would be a blessing to them if they obeyed him. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Look at verses 6 through 10. <clears throat> he said, so you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land a land of brooks and of water of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and the hills 
a land of wheat and barley and of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land He has given you. Jump to chapter 11 of Deuteronomy. Look at verses 8 through 12. You shall therefore keep the whole commandment that I command you today, that you may be strong and go in and take possession of the land that you're going over to possess, that you may live long in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them and to their offspring. Do you see it again? To give to them and to their offspring. A land flowing with milk and honey. For the land that you are entering to take possession of is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and irrigated it like a garden of vegetables, but the land that you are going over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water by the rain from heaven, a land that the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are always upon it from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. This land that God had promised to bring them to. And remember, God picked the property. God's the one that chose where his people were going to live, the people of Israel, that he's going to reveal himself through, through the Messiah, and in the last days bring glory to himself through bringing them back into the land, even though they don't deserve it, for his own glory, and reveal himself to all the rest of the world through what he's going to do and how he's going to bless, and bless Israel. But that land that he picked out was a good land. It was a good land. But if they disobeyed God and turned to other gods, he promised to decimate the land because of them. Go to Leviticus. Back up here in Deuteronomy. Back up to Leviticus chapter 26. <clears throat> Leviticus 26 verses 14 through 29. But if you will not listen to me and will not do all these commandments, if you spurn my statutes and if your soul abhors my rules, so that you will not do all my commandments, but break my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will visit you with panic, with wasting disease and fever that consume the eyes and make the heart ache. And you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be struck down before your enemies. Those who hate you shall rule over you, and you shall flee when none pursues you. And in sp if in spite of this you will not listen to me, then I'll discipline you again sevenfold for your sins. And I'll break the pride of your power, and I will make your heavens like iron, and your earth like bronze, and your strength shall be spent in vain. For your land shall not yield its increase, and the trees of the land shall not yield their fruit. Then if you'll walk contrary to me and will not listen to me, I will continue striking you sevenfold for your sins, and I will let loose the wild beasts against you which shall bereave you of your children and destroy your livestock and make you few in number so that your roads shall be deserted. And if by this discipline you're not turned to me, but walk contrary to me, then also I will walk contrary to you and I myself will strike you sevenfold for your sins. And I will bring a sword upon you and that shall execute vengeance for the covenant. And if you gather within your cities, I'll send pestilence among you and you shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. When I break your supply of bread, Ten women shall bake your bread in a single oven, and shall dole out bread again by weight, and you shall eat and not be satisfied. But if in spite of this you will not listen to me, but walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you in fury, and I myself will discipline you sevenfold for your sins. You shall eat the flesh of your sons, and your, eat the flesh of your daughters, and I will destroy your high places, and cut down your incense altars, and cast your dead bodies upon the dead bodies of your idols. And my soul will abhor you, and I will lay your cities waste, and will make your sanctuaries desolate, and I will not smell your pleasing aromas." And I myself will des devastate the land so that your enemies who settle in it shall be appalled at it. And I will scatter you among the nations and I will unsheath the sword before after you and the, your land shall be a desolation and your city shall be a waste. Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate while you're in your enemy's land and the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. As long as it lies desolate, it shall have rest, the rest that it did not have on your Sabbaths when you were dwelling in it. Again, here we saw that God told him, if you obey me, I'm going to bless the land in such a way that it'll produce for you and you'll be blessed in it. But if you don't, I'm going to actually decimate the land in the process of judging you. And by the way, did not every single one of these prophecies happen in the destruction of Jerusalem under Nebuchadnezzar? I mean, right down to the eating of their children, right down to being no bread, no water, disease, the land being decimated and totally left empty. Oh, but stay here in Leviticus 26. You may not believe it, but there's awesome promise in Leviticus 26. Look at verses 40 through 42. God said, when they repent as a nation, he'll remember the land. Leviticus 26, verses 40 through 42. But if they confess their iniquity 
and the iniquity of their fathers and the, their treachery that they committed against me, and also in walking contrary to me, so that I walked contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies. If then their uncircumcised heart is humbled, and they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob, and I will remember my covenant with Isaac, and my covenant with Abraham. By the way, what was the covenant with those three? I'm going to bring you and your descendants into this land. And I'm going to remember the covenant with all three of those guys. And I will remember the land. Isn't that cool? See, I want you to stick with me here because I'm about to hit into something that actually you've, some of you have heard me teach on. Others might not have. And so I want to do it fairly quick. But I want you to stick with me here. We need to remember that when man sinned, the earth was cursed because of him. When man sinned, he was spiritually immediately separated from God. He spiritually died. The moment that he disobeyed God, he spiritually died. Because God had already said, the day in which you eat of this tree, you will die. But did Adam die physically on that day? No, but God said he would die. Well, he died. He died spiritually where he could no longer be in the presence of God. Go with me to Genesis chapter 3, though, and look at verses 17 through 19. You'll see that not only did Adam and Eve die spiritually at that moment, they began to die physically, and the earth was cursed. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 17, And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and you have eaten of the tree with which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. By the way, have you not noticed that in Leviticus 26? That the earth was decimated because of Israel, because of the people of Israel. Stick with me here. Cursed is the ground because of you, and in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. He died, they died spiritually, they began to die physically, and they're going to go back to the dust of the earth, and the earth was cursed. I'm not going to take the time to go there, but in the Old Testament... There were three laws of redemption that God set up in the laws that he gave Israel. One was the law of redeeming the bride, the law of leveret marriage. It's Deuteronomy chapter 25, if you want to look at it later on. You remember the story of how a man died and having no sons. His brother was to take his wife and to produce Ruth and Boaz. It was a law for redeeming the bride. And the Bible says that the moment we trust Christ as our Savior, because of Jesus' death on the cross for our sins and his resurrection, the Bible says that when we through faith receive him as our Savior, we become the what of Christ? The bride of Christ. We are made at that moment spiritually alive. Go to John chapter 5. John chapter 5, verse 24. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you. By the way, when Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, is that because the other times he lies? So when Jesus is saying, truly, truly, I say to you, it's a, if you don't hear anything, hear this. Because everything he says is true. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. The moment you trust Christ as your Savior, you have been made alive again spiritually through faith in Jesus Christ. Jump over to chapter 11. You'll see a little more clearly. John chapter 11, verses 25 through 27. Jesus said to her, he said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God who's coming into the world. Look at what he says. If you believe in me, you will live even though you die. Even though you may physically die, you will live because you're now spiritually alive. All right, don't miss that. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Even though we may die physically, we will never die again spiritually. That's why the Bible describes those who go to the judgment seat of Christ, sorry, not the judgment seat of Christ, but the great white throne judgment at the end of the book of Revelation as experiencing the second death because they've been separated from God and they're, they're dead in their sins. They never received that forgiveness that was offered through Jesus Christ, but he brings them out of Hades and out of the places of torment and he puts them before him and they're in his presence again at the great white throne judgment but because of their sins and because they never trusted Christ as their Savior and their name's not in the Lamb's book of life, they are removed from his presence once again for eternity into the lake of fire. And the Bible calls that the second death. But for those of us who have been born again through faith in Jesus Christ, we are, even though our bodies are dying still, we are spiritually alive. You have been made alive. Jesus' death and resurrection took care of all three of sin's curses. But don't miss this. Each are going to be manifested in their own order. 
Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection took care of all three of those curses that happened in Genesis chapter 3, but it's going to be manifested in their own order. The first one is the redeeming of the bride. We see in the Old Testament another law of redemption, and that's the law of redeeming the slave. Every seven years, the slave had to be set free. Every 49th year, the slave had to be set free. And again, the Bible tells us in the book of Romans chapter 6 that our bodies are slaves to sin. And that's why our bodies are going to be redeemed next. When is that going to happen? When do we get our new bodies? When are our bodies no longer going to be under the curse of sin? At the rapture. Very good. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 26. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all shall die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then in his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. All right? So don't miss that. And we'll keep, we'll keep reading here. Then it is coming when he, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father, destroying every rule and every power, authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is what? Is death. All right? Go to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 55. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must, be put, must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? So, we are alive now, never to die again, because we're spiritually alive. But we still may die physically if we die before the rapture. But at the rapture, when Jesus comes, and those who come with him, and their bodies come up out of the ground at that time, and we are alive, going to be caught up ever to be changed, that's when the second law of redemption, if you will, will be manifested, and our bodies will be made new, and no longer under the curse. And folks, let me just tell you, I know all of us long for that day. So, they died spiritually, they began to die physically, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, he took care of the spiritual death when you trust him as your Savior. At the rapture of the church is when we get our new bodies. The Old Testament saints will get their new bodies at the end of the tribulation period. That's another explain, study for another time. But they'll get theirs at the end of the tribulation period. The church gets theirs then at the rapture. But there's a third law of redemption in the Old Testament. And that's in Leviticus chapter 25. You'll see the law of redeeming the land. If someone lost their property, a near relative could come and meet the terms and buy the land back. And... Actually, that's further evidence of the pre-tribulational rapture of the church. Because at the time that Jesus, in Revelation chapter 5, is standing there at the throne, and he's opening the seals, everything starts to happen on the, on the, on the land, on the earth. Why? Because that seal, with sealed with seven seals, is the, is the deed, to the, the copy of the deed of the earth. The earth is the Lord's, everything in it, the Bible says. But he gave dominion to who? He gave it to us. Remember in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, he gave dominion to Adam and Eve. He let us be in charge. He let Adam and Eve, not Adam and Eve, but Adam at the time, name all the animals. He gave dominion to us. But when we decided to listen to Satan instead of to God, we lost that dominion and handed that dominion over to Satan. He's the ruler of this world. He's the prince of the power of the air for a season. And because of that, the earth was cursed. And the only way you can get the land back if you lost it was to meet the terms you go look at Genesis, I'm sorry, Jeremiah chapter 32, you'll see that Jeremiah is told to go buy a piece of property of a near relative because there's one day going to be buying and selling back in Jerusalem. And he takes the sealed copy and the unsealed copy because he's able to meet the terms. And in Revelation chapter 5, Jesus begins to open the seals and things start to happen on the earth because during the tribulation period is when Jesus is going to get control of the earth again. That's why at the end of the tribulation period, at the end of the seals, they start celebrating in heaven. Now the kingdom has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign on the earth. But go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, look at verses 18 through 25. 
Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory to be revealed to us. For the creation, that's the earth, waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, and hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Do you see it? Creation's waiting for what? Us to be raptured. Creation's waiting for the sons of God to be revealed so that when we are raptured and we get our new bodies and we're caught up and we go be with him, creation knows they're next. And that's what we've been studying tonight, that God promises the land. I remember all the promises I made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I know what's been going on, and I am going to bless the land of Israel as well as the whole earth during that time. That's going to be an amazing time. So go back to Ezekiel chapter 36. And look at verses 16 through 21 as we close with this tonight. Ezekiel 36, verses 16 through 21. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, when the house of Israel lived in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. Their ways before me were like the uncleanness of a woman and her menstrual impurity. So I poured out my wrath upon them for the blood that they had shed in the land, for the idols with which they had defiled it. I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed through the countries in accordance with their ways. In their deeds, I judged them. But when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name. And that people said of them, these are the people of the Lord. And yet they had to go out of his land. But I had concerned for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. Now, I want you to not miss this because I want you to see that the reason why God is going to redeem Israel and the reason why God's going to bless the land of Israel in the last days is not because Israel deserves it, but because simply because of his promises and his name that is tied to that. Doesn't God teach us that our yes should be yes and our no be no? And that's actually how we take the name of the Lord in vain. People have for years thought that taking the name of the Lord in vain was cussing or using Jesus' name as a swear word. No, when you say you're going to do something, and you're a child of God and you claim his name, when you say you're going to do something and you don't do it, that's when you take the name of the Lord in vain. In other words, you act like not him. And that's why we teach our kids, look, whenever you leave the house, don't forget, you're a Johnson. You represent the Johnsons when you go out from this place. And here God said, I'm going to do all this in the last days because of my holy name. Haven't forgotten that I promised Abraham that he would get that land. I haven't forgotten that I promised Isaac that he would get that land. I haven't forgotten that I promised Jacob that he would get that land. And all these promises that I said, even way back before you even went into the promised land, I promised you all this stuff would happen if you disobeyed me, and I fulfilled all of that. But I also promised before you went in that I would in the very end gather you all back here for my own namesake and my glory, and I'm going to do that too. Go to Exodus 32 real quick. Exodus 32. And look at verses 7 through 14. The nation of Israel is in the wilderness, and Moses is up on the mountain. And the people all of a sudden say, we don't know what happened to him. So they ask Aaron to make them some gods that they can worship. So they make some golden calf, a golden calf like they had in Egypt. And in Exodus 32, verses 7 through 14, And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Isn't that cool? <laughs> The people you brought out have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it's a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. Of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them on the mountain and to, mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? 
Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply you and your offspring as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. God was so mad about what they had done. He said, get out of the way. I'm going to kill them all. I'll start over with you. And Moses, knowing the heart of God and how to intercede, said, don't do it. It will look bad for you. I know you're able to start another whole nation through me, but you don't understand. Actually, you do understand. I'm just reminding you, God. The the Egyptians knew that you brought them out. And if they all die out here in the wilderness, it's going to look like you weren't able to finish what you started. And you made promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that you haven't fulfilled yet. And if you kill them all, then you won't be able to fulfill those promises, and it'll look bad for you. Go to Numbers. Actually, write this down. Go to Numbers chapter 14, verses 1 through 20. Just write it down. We don't have time to read it to you. Numbers chapter 14, verses 1 through 25. Again, Moses has to intercede for the people of Israel. God wants to wipe them out again, but God... Moses prays and reminds them, reminds God, look, this will look bad for you. This will look bad for you if you kill them all here. I know they deserve that, but for your name's sake, don't wipe them all out. We're going to close tonight in one last passage, Isaiah 48. Isaiah 48, verses 1 through 11. One man asked C.S. Lewis years ago, they said, prove that God exists. C.S. Lewis, you're one of these intelligent men, and you've come to faith. Prove that God exists. You know what C.S. Lewis's answer was instantly? He said, Israel. That was his answer. He said, the people of Israel is proof that God exists. Because he's promised it in this book, and every nation has tried to wipe them off the face of the earth, and they still exist, and amazingly, they're back in their land. That's proof. Well, listen to Isaiah 48, and listen to God say the same thing. Isaiah 48, verses 1 through 11. Hear this, O house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel, and who came from the waters of Judah, who swear by the name of the Lord and confess the God of Israel, but not in truth or right. For they call themselves after the holy city and stay themselves on the God of Israel, the Lord of hosts is his name. For the former things I declared of old, They went out from my mouth, and I announced them. Then suddenly I did them, and they came to pass. In other words, I said what was going to happen before it did. Because I know that you're an obstinate, and and your neck is iron as iron and sinew, and your forehead brass. I declared them to you from of old. Before they came to pass, I announced them to you. Lest you should say, my idol did them, or my carved image and my metal image commanded them. You have heard, now see all this, and will you not declare it? From this time forth, I announce to you new things, hidden things that you have not known. They are created now, not long ago. Before today, you have never heard of them, lest you should say, Behold, I knew them. You have never heard, you have never known. From of old, your ear has not been opened, for I know, I knew that you would surely deal treacherously, and that from, from before birth you were called a rebel. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own name's sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. He says to Israel, everything that's happening to you, I told you long before. And all the stuff that I said I'm going to do, I'm going to do. So that when it happens, you won't think you did it or your idol or your carved image did it, that you'll know it was me. And folks, I cannot stress this enough. In the days that we live in, as the church age is coming to a close, be knowing what the prophecies say about Israel and what God's going to do, and be watching what goes on in the world. And that will encourage you in the days that come as you see things get crazier and crazier and people turn against Israel. There's actually rumor right now that there are a couple of nations, Iran being one, and others who are thinking to attack Israel right now. They're lining up on the border and amassing things, but they've been doing that for a while. But don't be surprised. The Bible says in the very last days, all the nations will be against Israel. 
but it'll encourage us with the fact that everything that's happening, God had already said. And so all the promises that he has for you and me will be fulfilled, and all the promises for Israel will be fulfilled. Be watching and be ready, because Jesus said, when you see all these things begin to take place, look up. Your redemption draws nigh. I love you. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. I'll be in Virginia next week. Thanks for coming.